Well, good morning. You can go ahead and turn with me to Mark chapter 4, and then as you're doing that, I'll make just a couple of quick announcements. First of all, um, I want to say thank you to the many of you who have followed us on social media. Many of you have reached out to us through iMessage and Facebook and Twitter. And matter of, if you're not connected to us through social media, matter of fact, I think it'll be yeah, up here on the screen, so you can do that. But uh, thank you so much for the prayers and the encouragement that you offered I think at our book table today, when uh, at the end of the service, I'll be there. And I think we actually have a little card if you don't have time to write that down. But I, I do want to say thank you. And I want to say thank you especially to your pastor and the staff here. Um, I've been doing this for over two decades. And I, when I commit to go somewhere, I go. And uh, we don't back out. It doesn't matter if we're sick. This week I've had bronchitis all week long. and didn't go to the office until Thursday. But we go when we say we're going to go. And uh, we canceled pretty much every event that we had scheduled this year. And uh, your pastor was so understanding. And so, brother, I love you. I respect you. And I hope you realize, um, I know your pastor's been here three decades. And in this day and time, most pastors, I'm telling you, I travel all across the country, and I know it to be true, most pastors don't make it 30 months, let alone three decades. So you are blessed to have a great pastor like Pastor Nick Garland. Yes, absolutely. Mark chapter 4, we're just going to launch right into the message. Beginning in verse 35, I'll be reading out of the New King James Version, and this is what God's Word says. On the same day, and I, I think I, uh, I didn't, in case I did, well, I'm sure it was up there, our Bible app as well, you can do right on your phone. Verse 35, on the same day when evening had come, he, Jesus, said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now, when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling with water. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow, and they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be? that even the wind and the sea obey him. Father God, this morning we come before you dependent upon you and the power of your Holy Spirit. God, thank you for the incredible music this morning that we've already heard that has set the table for the preaching of your word. We thank you, God, that your spirit has already invaded this room. Lord, only you know the folks that are sitting out in these seats, their hurts, their fears, their insecurities. Some that uh, maybe have never come to know you as Lord and Savior. Some who have and maybe have drifted away. God, we pray that today that you would just invade this room. That you would speak to every single one of us. That we would have a personal encounter with your Son and your Spirit. That would so change our course of life. That would reveal to us afresh and anew who you are. That we might never be the same. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It was 11 o'clock at night. I had just finished preaching uh, at a very large church in St. Louis, Missouri, and we were very excited 
that spring break week was going to begin. I had been on the road week after week, and we had plans. We were going to go fishing and spend some time out in the country, and it was uh, going to be a really exciting time. About 11 o'clock on a Saturday night, my teenage daughter, 19-year-old daughter, walked into the house and uh, came into the kitchen, was fixing herself something to eat. And as she was doing so, she notified us that something strange had happened when she had went with her friends to the Outback Steakhouse earlier that evening. She made mention that she had difficulty when she went to cross her legs and had had to grab her right leg with both of her hands and maneuver it over to the left side. Well, quite honestly, I brushed it off. She had had a four-wheeler accident earlier in the week, nothing serious, uh, had her seatbelt on. It was really no big deal, but I thought maybe there was a little soreness that was left over from the four-wheel accident. Well, she came in and watched TV with us for a few minutes and, and went to bed. Really, it was really no big deal. We, uh, we all went to sleep about midnight. And about 3 o'clock in the morning, I heard my daughter screaming in a voice that I've never heard before. Quite, if I were to be honest with you this morning, when I, when I heard her screaming, my first thought in my deadness of sleep was that someone was assaulting her. And me and her mother launched out of bed and ran into her room, and she notified us that the, she had a pain in her legs and her arms, that if she attempted to move her legs or her arms, it felt as though someone was hitting her with a sledgehammer. Well, we're kind of in that daze, and of course, we'd been completely asleep, and me and my wife walked down the stairs, and we're going to get some Advil, and I'm ashamed to admit, I turned to my wife and I said, this is a little bit of overkill. I mean, she four hours ago was with friends out at the steakhouse. There's no way someone can be in this amount of pain in four hours. Well, my wife uh, gave her some Advil and laid down to sleep with her, and I went back to my bed and went to sleep. The next morning, my wife took her to the clinic care. Well, they couldn't figure out what was going on, and so they decided that they would, and she needed to be admitted to the ER. We went to the ER, and then we were there about an hour, and they notified us that they were going to have to do a, a procedure on her spinal cord. We felt that she might have Guillain Barre. I called a doctor friend of mine. I said, guys, uh, we're not here for that. Maybe we got a flu situation, or maybe some sore bones from uh, a four wheeler accident, but we're not ready to do something with their spinal cord. Well, they did a Guillain Barre test and realized that wasn't it. Before you knew it, they said, you need to be admitted to the, um, the um, ICU. We don't know what's wrong with you. And so there we were. Literally just in a matter of hours, we went from a clinic care to an ER to an ICU, and we were left reeling. We could not fathom. Here, my daughter's 19 years of age. She's never been to a hospital since the day her mother and me brought her home. So began uh, a journey, a journey that we're still walking through to this day. Well, that's a lead in this morning as we kind of skip back here to Mark chapter 4. It's been a phenomenal day of ministry. Jesus has been teaching in parables. Uh, Roman, there, there's been some healings that have taken place. It's been one of those great days in ministry and one of those types of days that you think just can't culminate any better than what it has. And yet, as we see in the story, this phenomenal day of ministry where the crowds were flocking to hear Jesus Christ doesn't turn out quite as though it was planned. I guess in many ways, it, it, it seems like that oftentimes. It's been said that sometimes the biggest struggles come right on the heels of the biggest victories. 
I remember my mother telling me years ago when we were going through a phenomenal time in ministry, Jay, you must be careful because it's times like this when the enemy often will come to you in the strongest of ways. Well, this is what we see in Mark chapter 4, this great day of ministry. And here we are in the evening, and now everything begins to unravel. All of the problems begin to become unglued. There's an unleashing of a, of a major storm. Now, the first thing that we recognize uh, about this storm is, is that it's not just some ordinary storm. I hope this morning, right where you're seated, that somehow that you can see in your mind's eye this storm. Maybe as you sit here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, that you can envision what it must have been like to be on the sea. To Maybe you could sit there and you can imagine, the, you can hear the, the rippling of the sail as the, the wind shredded. Maybe you can hear the, the howling of the, the, the wind as though the wolves have encircled it. Maybe you can hear the creaking of the boat as it rises and falls on the crests of the waves. Maybe you can almost feel the sloshing of the water that has now overtaken the boat. This is where we find ourselves and find the Son of God and His disciples in Mark chapter 4. We could stop right there for a moment and think of how ironic it seems that a storm would be on the heels of the Son of God. But yet, isn't it often so? We look through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we see time and time again how the storms follow Jesus. We could go there this morning, but we won't, about the irony of not only is there a storm following the Son of God, but there is a storm following the 12 disciples. Those who are in his inner circle, those who he is the closest to. And so not only is the storm licking at the heels of the Son of God, but even those who are the closest to him. Well, when we look at the storm, the first thing that we see is that it is no ordinary storm. If you were to look at this in the original language and read it in Greek, you would realize that this storm is really the equivalency of a modern-day hurricane. I think about uh, this last hurricane, I, for some reason it's escaped me, the, the name of it that just went through, I think it was Michael, just a couple of weeks ago. And I was watching a major news network the day before, and it was funny because they were, they were showing the beaches and they were showing the waves and everything was so calm and everything was so picturesque. And if it weren't for the predictions of the weathermen, if somebody were to tell you that a major storm was about to, 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 to come down on this pristine beach, you wouldn't believe it. But yet it came and it brought much devastation. Well, the, the Bible tells us that, we, that, that this is no ordinary storm. It's the equivalency of a modern-day hurricane. Now, we also know that it's not an ordinary storm because of the response of those who are in it. One of the things I love about Jesus Christ and those who followed him is they were, they were men, manly type men. We know at least three of the inner circle were full-time fishermen. I don't know how much time you spent around fishermen, but I can tell you this, they're usually a pretty salty group of guys. And for these fishermen who had spent their entire lives on the sea. They had navigated numerous storms. They knew what it was like to be caught in the midst of a storm. And for them to be as fearful as they were makes it very clear to us that this storm would not be like any storm they had been through in the past. And so it is with life. In this life, we live in a broken world. 
In this life, there are going to be storms. I don't know you, but I know even in a crowd of this size, there are people all across this room that are going through various storms. It might be a marital storm. It might be a financial storm. It might be a health crisis. I don't know, but I know even as I look out across this room that there are people facing storms. I also know, as it's been so adequately said, that for each one of us, we are right now either in the middle of a storm, we just came out of a storm, or regrettably, we are about to enter into a storm. Well, that was the case with the disciples. They were caught in the middle of a storm. So we know it's no ordinary storm. The next thing we know is, is that Jesus Christ himself led them into the storm. Now, you and I, oftentimes we feel like that if we are following God, if we're going to church, if we're doing the things that the Lord wants us to do, there's a mindset among many people that somehow that makes them immune to difficulty. The pastor mentioned earlier that there are really two mindsets. One is, is that if you go through a storm, then you must be doing something wrong. We know that's not true because Jesus went through a a storm of being tempted 40 days in in the wilderness. I think about Peter after he preached in Acts, 3,000 people were saved and yet he was thrown in prison. Paul and Silas cast a demon out of a demon-possessed girl and they ended up getting beaten with rods. And then the other misconception is the one that I've already mentioned. The truth of it is every single one of us are going to go through storms. We live in a broken, fallen world. But the difficulty usually is not in the fact that we are going through storms. The difficulty is the fact when we know that Jesus Christ could have prevented it. The Scripture makes it explicitly clear, and of course we're reading one account in the Gospel of Mark, but if you read all four accounts, it is crystal clear that Jesus Christ himself led these disciples right smack dab into the middle of this storm and this problem. Storms have a unique way of not only revealing who God is, but storms reveal who you are and how you believe and and feel about God. I remember when we had been in Wichita Falls at our local hospital three days, I exaggerate none whatsoever when I tell you my daughter went two and a half days. Of course, there was nothing left in her stomach to throw up. She was having dry heaves for two and a half days every five minutes and sometimes less than that. They couldn't stop it. They didn't know what was going on. And I remember one night, and my, my wife would stay all day, and I would stay all day, but then at night, because we have a younger son, I would leave at night to go sleep at home with my youngest son and then get him into school and then head back to the hospital. One night I left the hospital, and I was walking to my Silverado. My heart was crushed. They didn't know what was wrong with our daughter. They couldn't figure it out. They were running a battery of tests. And as I was walking to my pickup, the thought occurred to me, you know, God, I've always, when I think about the cross and when I think about what Jesus went through, I never have really thought about it from the perspective of how did the father feel watching his son suffer? And I audibly said to God, as I walked to my truck, I said, God, maybe in some ways that this will change who I am. And maybe in some ways I have somewhat of a relatability at some smaller level to what you must have felt as you watched your son be executed. 
Years ago, I'd memorized Job 13, 15, where Job said, though he slay me, yet will I serve him. I knew Job 23, 10, the Lord knows the way that I take, and when he has tried me, I will come forth as gold. And I audibly said to God, as I put my hand on my Silverado pickup, God, though you slay me, I will serve you. But that was long before we were to find out the magnitude of the problems that we had. That commitment that I would not turn my back on God. And certainly me and my wife and our ministry, we've had our share of difficulties and problems like anybody else. And, and although we haven't probably got an A+, plus, we, we've weathered the storms. We had managed to stay faithful. We had managed to, to not doubt God. We'd managed to stay on course and press toward the mark. And I believed that there would be nothing that could shake my faith. I truly believe, not in an arrogant way, not that I was some, uh, some spiritual superhero, but I just believed at that moment that nothing could so shake my faith or, or cause me to doubt all those things in which I've always believed. That was long before we were told by our local hospital, get your daughter out of here. The doctor told us this, get her out of here. There's nothing else we can do for her. We do not know what's wrong with her. We cannot stop her symptoms. And of course, an ambulance came and picked up our daughter. My wife rode in the back of the, uh, the uh, uh, ambulance with her, and I followed in my truck. I cried all the way to UT Southwestern, one of the premier hospitals, not in Texas, but in the world. It's the hospital you go to when you have some ailment that no one can figure out how to fix it. We went to UT Southwestern. I'll never forget the night we got there. Now, we were there because of all the pains. My daughter, the excruciating, screaming pains that were racking her body. And we hadn't been there an hour, and they notified us that her heart was failing. But she had periocarditis and myocarditis. We didn't even know what that was. She had a fluid around her heart, the valves that were connected to her heart, that this disease, whatever it was that she had, was literally shutting down her whole body. That commitment that, God, nothing will shake me. Though you slay me, though you slay my family, I will, I will stay faithful to you. That was before my daughter couldn't breathe. That's before her lungs were so filled with fluid that she couldn't breathe. And they took a, a scalpel and cut her back wide open and stuck a tube through her back and drained a bottle full of fluid from her lungs. That was long before the temperatures reached 104. And they packed ice between her legs and on her shoulders like the carcass of a deer after one of our hunts. It was long before all of her joints began to hurt, her wrists, her fingers, her toes, her ankles, her knees. It was long before that I would watch my daughter scream day after day after day, morphine, Dilaudid, all these medications I've never even heard of wouldn't work. It was before my daughter would say to me, Daddy, do something. It was before my daughter would say to me, Daddy, there are thousands of people you tell me all over the world who are praying for me, and yet every day my sickness doesn't get better, it only gets worse. And my wife thought we were literally about to lose our mind. Yes, we knew. I could quote John 16, in this world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. I, I knew John 14. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. If my father, in my father's house, there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would, I, I would have told you. I knew John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give, not as the world give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, let it not be afraid. But let me be honest with you this morning, I was struck with absolute terror. 
There was nothing I could do. I don't know if you'd ever know what it's like to have your son or your daughter look at you and say, Daddy, help me, and there is nothing you can do. When the doctors look at you and say, we do not know what is wrong with your daughter, the finest doctors in the world, she was put on a a task force, 12 of the most brilliant minds in medicine who meet via conference call and Skype from all over the world, and nobody could give us any answers. I called all my preacher friends. Many of them, I say I called them. I really didn't call them. They called me. They texted me. Nobody had any answers. We were completely devastated. That commitment, that so-called faith that I had began to really get shaken. It was a storm unlike any other. It was a storm that Jesus led them into. I thought about that. I, I asked those questions, questions I normally wouldn't have asked. Why didn't you stop it? Why are you allowing this? What do you do when your expectations and your beliefs about God all begin to come unraveled? When everything that you've ever believed begins to be shaken? Words cannot express how crushed we were. The next thing when we look at Mark, we look at not only this storm and this storm that Jesus led them into, that somehow he orchestrated this whole thing. And, and I'll be honest with you before I move on, I, 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 I'm not even sure. Sometimes I, I've went through phases where uh, the Lord led us into this, and then there are seasons where I believe that the enemy have led us into this, but I've come to the conclusion that regardless of who led us into it, that God is going to get the victory from it. The next thing we see in Mark is not only must we look at the storm, but we must look at the disciples. As I mentioned earlier, at least three to four of them were were fishermen. These were men's men. These were tough guys. And we see, first of all, that the disciples did something that you and I do. They took matters into their own hands. We see from the story that that here the, the storm has gotten so bad that they are literally in fear of death. Again, taking in consideration their occupation, this storm was unbelievably brutal. And yet somehow in the process, they allow this storm to continue to grow, and they don't reach out for the Lord's help. They took matters in their own hands. Isn't that the way that you and I do things? I mean, just this last week, I, I've had bronchitis. I went to the, the doctor. I... I, I It dawned on me. I'd been sick two days before I even asked God to heal me. I remember when I was in Africa the first time. And they see miracles and they see God move in a way that we don't see God move in the States. And the reason why they see God move in the way we don't see God move is because it's all they have. They don't have a medicine cabinet. They don't have an ER clinic down the road. And they must depend on God. No wonder why God intervenes in their life in supernatural ways. The disciples, they... We're going to take matters into their own hands rather than bothering Jesus. They, they could handle it. I can imagine hearing them now. Don't wake him up. We've been through storms. We, we, we got this. I wonder what is it in your life right now that really God is wanting to put his finger in the middle of, but you're trying to take care of it on your own. You're going to use your resources and your influence. I'm certainly not an important person by any stretch of the matter. And... I, I, I don't know that until this place, I've ever been to the place. You see, sometimes before God can be all that you want, he has, to get to, he has to get to the place in your life where he's all that you have. And I think it's the first time I've really ever got to the place where God's all I had. 
There's no connections. There's no amount of money. There is no hospital. There's nobody that can fix my situation. Especially when we were notified, it took them 15 days to come up with a diagnosis. And then they notified us that she had Stills disease, which then transferred into microphage activation syndrome, which then turned to HLH, which then turns into a 40% mortality rate. They told us, Jay, your daughter does not have a, a rare disease. Your daughter doesn't have an extremely rare disease. Your daughter has an unheard of disease. People in the hospital have never even heard of it. I would imagine most of you in the audience, if Stills disease, you probably, it's probably never even hit your ears before took matters in their own hands. And then we see that when they took matters in their own hands, problems only got worse. You remember that story about the, the lady with the issue of blood? There was a lady in Scripture, she, there was an issue of blood. And, 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 and you remember, she went, she touched the hem of Christ's garment and she was instantly healed and she weaved her way through the crowd. You remember Jesus turned and said, who touched me? But before that, the Gospels tell us that she had spent everything she had and only gotten worse. Maybe the message for you today is, is getting to that place of complete surrender. Maybe today the message is you, for you is to get to a place of such abandonment that Jesus Christ isn't just some genie in a bottle or something that you, someone you turn to when the bottom falls out, but when you get to the place of complete ultimate surrender where He's all that you have and all that you want. Things only got worse. What does Jeremiah 17.5 say? Cursed is the man that trusts in man and makes flesh his arm. 17.9, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. Oh, that's good preaching, but it's oftentimes very, very difficult to do. Disciples took it in their hands. Problems got worse. They couldn't fix things. Maybe you're encountering a situation like that right now. You just can't fix it. And I, I, I'm going to tell you this. You don't want to hear it because I didn't want to hear it but you're in a very blessed place. You've all heard 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace, you've heard this, my grace is sufficient for you. My, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. My mother told me years ago, Jay, God could never fully use a person until He has first fully broken them. The finest stones still have to be cut on. A diamond cannot even reflect light until it's first been cut. Jesus talks about cutting in John 15. Where he talks about the vine and the branches. There's a, a series of pruning. There's a series of cutting where God has to cut away different things in our life. It doesn't normally come in the way that we wanted it to. The next thing we see about the disciples is that, and this is, boy, this really stands out to me. Finally, when they couldn't fix the situation, finally when all their experience and all of their knowledge about the sea and all their navigational skills wouldn't work, they finally get to a place where they make a statement and they say this. It's really not just a statement. It's a statement and a question. Teacher, master, you don't care that we're dying. Maybe you're blaming God today. I meet so many people like that over the years. Blaming God for what their husband did. Blaming God for what their wife did, what their mama did, what their daddy did, or what their daddy didn't do or mama didn't do. It's so easy to place blame. And oftentimes we blame God for things that really we're responsible for. They blame God. They said, you don't care that we're dying. 
I wonder if you were to be honest today. I know it's church and we've got to look nice and we've got to smell nice and we've got to talk nice. But I wonder if you were really to undress yourself in a communicational way, if you would be honest enough to say that there is something in your life this morning you're blaming God for. He allowed something to happen to you. You were abused as a little girl. Your daddy walked out on your mama. Your husband was unfaithful. You went financially broke. Your health failed. You got some disease that was unexplicable, that didn't have a a cure. And you're blaming God. That's what the disciples did. I certainly didn't think I'd ever get to the place. But let me be honest with you this morning. It wasn't just once. There were numerous times. I'd go out to the waiting room because we we would literally have to work in shifts. We, We lived in a, do you understand, lived in a hospital for almost seven months every single day. And when you watch your daughter every single day screaming and crying in pain, it's the border of insanity. You go through a range of emotions. And one of those range of emotions was blaming God, angry at God. We got to the place where we said, God, we're not even asking for a cure, God. We're just asking, would you stop the pain? <clears throat> I'd walk the walk in the, emergen- in the uh, waiting room. I told God, I blame God. I told God, I, my daughter doesn't deserve this. I told God, I will never preach again. I know you don't need me. That's fine. I don't need you. I will never preach again. If you expect me to stand in front of people like I have been doing for the last 20 years all over the world, traveled millions of miles, if you expect me to get up and tell people how good and how loving and how kind you are, I will never do it again in my mind would be Luke eleven thirteen, the verse I'd memorized forever ago. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give gifts to those that love him? And I would tell God, I would never treat my children the way you treat yours. And then I would ask God to forgive me. God, I shouldn't have said those things. Will you, God, forgive me. I, I, I don't want my heart to be this way. And, and then might do good for a few days. And it was such a seesaw. It was such a teeter-totter. It was up and down, and, which is very uncharacteristic of me. And all those Christianese sayings, let go and let God and let Jesus take the wheel. I didn't want to hear any of that. Matter of fact, many of the quotations and sermons that I had preached. One of my staff members provided me a DVD and said, Jay, you need to hear this sermon. It's a great sermon. I said, who's it by? She said, you, I don't want to hear it. My heart was broken, crushed. What about you? Oftentimes we can't be vulnerable. We can't, we can't, we can't let our guard down, we feel, especially at church. Does God let, letting a person go through a hurricane means that he does not love them? Well, not according to Hebrews 12, 6. It says, whom the Lord loves, he scourges. He chastens. The very fact that God allows us to go through a hurricane of sorts is proof that he loves us. And then lastly, as I'm getting close to running out of time, we've got to look at the Son of God. He was asleep. Do you know there is not one single solitary place in all 66 books where it tells us that Jesus Christ or God was sleeping but one place, and it's found right here in Mark chapter 4. How ironic. At the moment his friends needed him the most, he was asleep. Have you been there? 
Have you been at that place where you feel like, God, where are you? I've prayed all the prayers I know to pray. I've contacted the godliest people that I know. We have entire churches, God, that have shut down services to pray for us. What do you want from us? My daughter's only getting worse. I remember being in the ICU and the doctor coming and saying, basically, Jay, we've done all we can do. I remember sitting there and watching that monitor go off over and over because her liver was failing, her heart was failing, her lungs were failing, her blood pressure was off, her temperature was off, and sitting there planning who was going to be pallbearers at my daughter's funeral. Jesus, are you asleep? When they needed him the most, he was asleep. But there's something that, and when I began to read this after I got home, that stood out to me. Yeah, he was asleep all right, but he was there. He was there all along. God was silent to me in so many ways, but yet I know he was there. He was with me, right in the boat, right in the storms. And then we see that Jesus, first he speaks to the winds and the waves, and he says, I've got the picture in my office. It's been there for 20 years. Jesus has his outstretched arms. It's actually from the back view. The disciples in the boat looking up at him, you can see the, the clouds churning. And Jesus has his arms outstretched. And it, it's this quotation, peace, be still. And as soon as he spoke those words, the wind ceased. It would not have moved a feather. The water becomes as still as glass. The winds and the waves had no choice but to obey him. And I, I, I know that even though we're still walking through a valley, even though my daughter is at home and we're still having issues, big time issues, I, I know that when God is ready and he says, peace, be still, it will be so. And I believe that with all of my heart. And when he finishes speaking to the winds and the waves, he turns and he speaks to the disciples. I hope you caught what he said. Let me read it to you, verse 40. Why are you afraid? How is it that you have no faith? You know what he's really saying? After all you've seen, you know me, and yet you still don't believe? Why don't you trust me? Why are you allowing circumstances and, and storms and issues to cause you to doubt who I am and my love for you? I believe that's what he has been saying to me and my wife and my daughter all along. Jay, have you not seen me? Do you not know me? Why do you doubt? I believe, quite frankly, that maybe that's what he is saying to you. Can we only trust Him when we see and feel Him? Why can't we trust in a silent God? Why can't we trust? Why did my faith fail so terribly in the moment when I needed God the most? I, I'm not proud to admit that, but it's the truth. We would have seasons where we'd do good. And thank God when I was doing poorly and ready to jump ship or jump out the window of the 12th floor, my wife was strong. And when my wife would be decimated, God would make sure that it was in a season where I was doing well. Jesus says, why are you afraid? Why don't you believe? 
when y'all, they sing the song. I wish they were singing it in the second service. They, they were singing a while ago. And it was repeated over and over and over. And this wasn't orchestrated. It wasn't planned. The, the song was, I believe this, I believe that, I believe this, I believe that. I sit right there on the front row, tears running down, down my face because even though there were circumstances where I, I, I wasn't believing, in my heart I believe. There are days even now when I, I struggle believing, but, but down in my heart and in my soul I believe. And it's what God calls us to do. The disciples said to themselves in verse 41, they said, who can this be? It says they were filled with fear. Now, initially that word fear in the original language was fear of personal harm. But this fear that we see in verse 41 is a different kind of fear. It's not a fear of personal harm. It's a fear in the sense of amazement. It's the fear in the sense of awe of who Jesus Christ really is. And some of us have lost that all because of our difficulty and our pain and our sorrow and our struggle. We have forgot the amazing, mighty God that he is. We have forgotten the greatness of his love. When John 15, 13 says, greater love has this than no man than to lay down his life for his friends. We've forgotten the image of the Roman soldier with his knee on the forearm of the Son of God as the other soldier pulls out his hand and drives spikes to his hands and his feet. We've forgotten the greatness of his love. And our struggle and our difficulty has caused us to doubt his goodness and his grace and his mercy. And the disciples said, who, who, who is he? Who can this man be? And I tell you before God this morning, no matter who you are, no matter what age you are, how you answer that question this morning about who Jesus Christ is will not only determine what happens in this life, it will determine what happens in the next life. It will affect everything that you do. How you answer this question, who is he? Who is he to you? Is he a genie in a bottle? Is he a God only as long as he's doing what you want him to do and no difficulties come in your life? Or is he a God when all hell breaks loose, when the demons of hell have been unleashed upon your family and those that you love the most, when your health is failing? Is he still God? It's okay to struggle. I've given God a million reasons to hate me, and he still loves me. And nothing will ever change that. Who is he to you? I'm not embarrassed. I'm not, I, I wish it were not so, but I'm not embarrassed that in so many ways and times that my, my, my faith failed. Because in the process of my failing faith, my, uh, ironic as it seems, my faith is getting stronger every day. Everything that was meant for evil against my daughter, and I can't prove it to you now. My daughter's still in a wheelchair. My daughter's still very sick, but I will tell you before God, and I believe with everything that I am, my daughter will be more restored. She will be more healthful, uh, healthy than she's ever been. It doesn't matter to me what the doctors say. There's one great physician, not two, ten, twenty. And we're out of time. Gosh. Let me quickly close with this. It goes back to what we heard earlier, this song, I Believe in You. So I went through this litany of things, asking questions, God, why? And I normally don't ask why. And then I said, God, what? What do you want us to learn? What are you trying to do? Nothing made sense. And then we finally got home, and home was difficult. We weren't home. We, hadn't, we were home the first uh, three weeks in the emergency room three different times. We got home. She got an, uh, a UTI. We got home, and she got a stomach infection. We got home, and then two more vertebrae got cracks in them from all the steroids that she's taken. So home wasn't what we thought it would be. But I was in my closet because I would go sometimes weeks to not even pray or, or read my Bible, which is very uncharacteristic for me. 
I got in my closet. It's the place where God's always spoken to me. And, and I was in my closet, and, and, and God brought me to this story. I wasn't actually in Mark. I read systematically, but I was led to this story. And, 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 and I was saying, God, what is it that you're trying to teach me? What is, what's all this about? I just need to hear something from you. And then God reminded me of something that happened in the early days when Kaylee was in the hospital. She was in the ICU, and they were having to do a procedure where they were going to run a wire, they were going to scalpel her neck and run a wire through her jugular down to her heart, a very, very, very dangerous uh, and very painful procedure. They normally don't even allow anybody to go in the room, but because of her age, and my daughter was the youngest person in ICU, and they didn't have any answers, and my daughter was begging that her father could go in, and, and so we got consent. I had to sit in the corner and had to put on a face mask. And anyway, it's a training hospital and they brought it, brought in several doctors. And so they hook up like a sonogram machine where they can watch this wire try to make its way down into her heart. And it is extremely painful. My daughter's screaming in pain. And three different doctors tried to complete the procedure and couldn't do so. My daughter was going crazy and so was I. Well, finally, a, a, a doctor came in, and he was kind of the, I don't know what his official title is, kind of like the, the chief physician. He was the, the big man, the one who had done this procedure more than anybody else. And he got in, and my daughter was literally about to lose her mind going through this process. And, and she had said, I don't want to do it. I don't care if it kills me. I, I don't want to try this anymore. And they said, we've got to do it. There, there, there is no option because of the, your, your, your heart problems. And this doctor came in in a very low voice. He said to Kaylee, Kaylee, I'm so sorry that they've been un unable to complete the procedure, but we must try it again. My daughter, I, my daughter made a statement I will never forget. My daughter made a statement. I literally, it took my breath away. I've never heard anybody make a statement that, that more resonated with me, that more was engraved upon my mind. And when my daughter said something, I, I thought surely I didn't even hear it. My daughter said to this doctor who she did not know, she had no reason to trust him. She had never met him. My daughter said to this doctor, I believe in you. I believe you can do this. The doctor, taken back by what she said, doctor stammered and bit on, stepped on his tongue and he said, uh, uh, Kaylee, I, th thank you. I want you to know I believe in you too. Here I am in my closet. God takes me back to that occurrence. And it's like God helping me see that I'd missed it all along. That God had given me a visual example of really what I was supposed to do. I didn't, wasn't going to get all the answers. I wasn't going to have all the solutions. But all He wanted me to do was believe. The song we sang earlier, I believe in you. At the end of the day, it's what God wants from me and you more than anything else to just believe. Believe when believe doesn't make sense. Believe when the pain is great. Believe when the answers don't come. Believe when the circumstances don't add up. Believe when the enemy has assaulted us to just believe. What about you? Do you believe? Have you believed unto salvation? Has there ever been a time in your life when you truly committed yourself to Christ and received Him as your Lord and Savior? I don't mean gone to church, been baptized, prayed a prayer. Was there ever a time when you truly repented of your sin and believed? If there was, then you know Christ. 
Are you still believing in Him now? Are you walking with Him? Have you drifted off path? Has problems and life and circumstances driven you away from God? And yes, one day you'll go to heaven, but, 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 but your faith has failed and you have walked away from God and you know you're a million miles away. He asks you this morning to believe. Every head's bowed, every eye's closed. With your head's bowed and your eye's closed. We have just a brief few moments here, but with every head bowed and every eye closed, the first thing I want to do is the Bible says in Hebrews 10, 9, 10, 13, that if you believe with your heart, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus Christ, regardless of past or present or future, will give you eternal life and forgive you. And so this morning, if you're anywhere in this audience and, and, and maybe you've been in church all your life or maybe you never go to church or maybe you've been through baptism or catechism, but if you could say, Jay, I don't know for sure that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, I want to invite you right where you're seated to pray this prayer with me. The Bible doesn't say you're saved by praying a prayer. The Bible says you're saved by putting your faith in Christ. But one of the ways we do that is by prayer. You say, well, Jay, I... I think I'm saved. No, there's no such thing. If you know Jesus Christ, it's not something you think. It's something that you know. So wherever you're seated, if you'd say, Jay, I don't know for a fact that I've ever believed in Jesus to the point of salvation, I want to invite you to pray this prayer right where you're seated. You can just pray it silently right where you're at. And you can say, Dear God, I come to you in Jesus' name. I believe that your son died on the cross for my sins. I believe that he rose from the grave on the third day. I want to turn from my sin. I want to turn from unbelief. Jesus Christ, I want you in my life. Jesus, I believe in you. And I receive you right here, right now, as my Lord and as my God and as my Savior. Every head's bowed, every eye's closed. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way. But with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you just prayed that prayer with me, maybe you've been a member of this church, maybe you're a guest today, whatever, but you'd say, Jay, I just prayed that prayer. Would you just lift your hand up? I'm not going to embarrass you in any way. Just lift it up and say, Jay, I prayed that with you. Just lift it up high. There are several of you. Several of you. Yes. Are there others? I'm not going to embarrass you in any way. Thank you. Yes. Are there others? Several hands that would say, Jay, I just prayed that prayer with you. You may have been in church your whole life. Maybe you've been struggling with doubt for years. I don't know. Anybody else quickly? And say, Jay, I just prayed that prayer with you. Last but not least, matter of fact, everybody just stand right quick. Everybody stand. Everybody stand quickly, quietly. Everybody stand. What I want to do, and I know we have just a few minutes and we've got to, we've got to get out of here. Maybe there are, maybe, maybe there's some issues in your life and you just want somebody to talk to and pray with. You can feel free to do that. There's staff up here at the front. They'd be glad to pray with you, talk with you. Or maybe you'd like to just make your way down here to the front and get on your knees and do business with God in your own way. This altar's open. You do as God leads you. Father God, we thank you that you're the God in the storm and the God out of the storm. Lord, help us believe. God, bring healing. Lord, there's so many in this room maybe hurting and struggling. God, would you bring healing in their life? God, would you bring hope? Would you defeat the lies of the enemy? In Jesus' name, amen. There are several already at the altar. If you want to, you feel free to come and pray as our worship leader just sings briefly.